This morning we are continuing our reading from Mark's Gospel as part of our Lenten sermon series and as part of our spiritual discipline in reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark in this Lenten time. This week I wanted to share with you or, or just point out to you that we've skipped a chapter we have been reading Mark chronologically and, and just following it through, but this week we've skipped chapter 11 because we're going to read chapter 11 next week, which deals with Palm Sunday and Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And so as we read this morning's scripture, I want to remind you that Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem already. He has fulfilled what some believe is the prophecy of the victorious Messiah that is going to enter the city. He's cleared out the temple courts. He's had his authority challenged. And so we find him today. He's come back into the city and he is teaching the disciples and he is being questioned by others. And so this morning I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 12 verses 1 through 12. If you'd like to follow along. Jesus spoke to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower. Then he rented it to tenant farmers and took a trip. When it was time, he sent a servant to collect from the tenants his share of the fruit of the vineyard. But they grabbed the servant, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, the landowner sent another servant to them, but they struck him on the head and treated him disgracefully. He sent another one. That one they killed. The landlord sent many other servants, but the tenants beat some and killed others. Now the landowner had one son whom he loved dearly. He sent him last, thinking they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said to each other, this is the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. They grabbed him, killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it's amazing in our eyes. They wanted to arrest Jesus because they knew that he had told the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd. So they left him and went away. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning's scripture that we read from Mark chapter 12 is at the very beginning of chapter 12. For this past week, our chapters that we've looked at were 12 and 13. And so it's today's parable. And then Jesus is questioned about taxes as he is, uh, the, the Pharisees and the scribes are attempting to trap him. He's questioned about the resurrection, about God's most important command, you know, to love others or to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Being, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Then he discusses with the legal experts. And then if you've never read chapter 13, I encourage you to do so this afternoon. Because Jesus, this is his apocalyptic language. It's almost a mini revelation that he shares with those who are there. As he's telling them what is going to happen and what could happen. And he uses images that are consistent with, with revelation or apocalyptic languages. And so it's something different that we read. That I just wanted to point out to you if you want to read it later. It's, it's an interesting one to read and it's unique to Mark's gospel and the way he presents it to us. But the scripture that we have read this morning is the parable of the, ten, the tenants 
Or depending on your translation of the Bible or whoever puts together your translation of the Bible and gave it the heading. I read one this past week that said this was the parable of the defiant tenants. It's a parable that if you go and look, it's also found in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it was the parable that I read a couple days ago in my Lenten devotional that I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew. And it's one of those parables that I think we can read. And we can see that Jesus was offering to the people almost a first-hand story that probably connected to them in ways that some of the other ones didn't. Because this is a parable that is very real. It's very true. And in the time of Christ, it was extremely common for there to be wealthy landowners who owned large portions of the region around the Galilee and they lived in other places. In Mark's Gospel today, it says that the landowner was there, he hired the servants, and then he went on a trip. Except he's gone a long time. If he's gone long enough to be sending back when the harvest is to be collected in order to collect his portion. These landlords didn't live in the area. They relied on the tenants and on the agreements or covenants that they made with the tenants being required to work the soil and care for the vines or whatever other crops were planted on the land. And as payment, the landowner received payment and the tenants received payment. In the parable that Jesus tells, he tells of a number of tenants who are working the land of a wealthy landowner. It's the time of the harvest. The landowner sends a servant to collect his payment. And when the servant arrives, he's beaten and then sent back empty-handed to the landowner. A second servant is sent, and I hope you notice that the level of disrespect that the tenants offered to him escalates with this one because it says that this servant is hit about the head or hit over the head and mistreated, and then he is sent back. And then the third servant, it just says that he sent another one and that one they killed. Now, I think Mark's gospel is unique because if you read that next verse, it says after the third servant was killed, the landlord sent many other servants. But the tenants beat some and killed others. In my mind, I always have just pictured the three. But in some ways, it shows the patience of the landlord. Not moving against the servants or the tenants quickly as he sent a number of servants, some that were beaten, some that were treated disgracefully, some that were killed, until eventually there was only one person left, and it was his son, his only son, who Mark says he dearly loved, who was sent, and as he approached, the tenants looked at him, saw him coming, and plotted to kill him as they made the assumption as they made the assumption that the landowner himself had died and that the heir was coming to claim ownership of the land. They made the assumption that with the man dying, that if they killed the son, if they got the heir out of the way, they could assume ownership themselves of the land because they were the ones on it. They were the ones tilling the soil, caring for the vines. And so they killed the son. And Mark adds an extra layer of disgrace. They threw the son's body over the wall. And he wasn't even given the the dignity of, of burial. 
And with the son's death, the landowner came and killed the tenants and got others to work in the vineyard. Then Jesus told the crowds listening this. That the one, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. And it's amazing in our eyes. And we know traditionally we've read this scripture as a, a accusation or a teaching that Jesus offered against the priests and the temple authorities as a way to point out that they themselves were missing his very presence in their midst or perhaps they were unwilling to acknowledge the fact that there could be a Messiah and that he was there. But as I read this passage of scripture this past week, I asked myself, as many of us do whenever we do read Scripture, where are we in this story? Where am I? What does it say to me today? Because it's very easy for us to, to read a parable of this sort and to say, oh, Jesus is just teaching against those that are leading the temple in his time because they're missing the mark. And to just put it aside. But I think we can ask, what does he say to our community of faith? Is there a way that we can apply it to our own lives? Commentators agree, like I mentioned before, that, that when Jesus first used this parable, it was to, to question those who were in positions of power there in Jerusalem. Those that were supposed to be leading others to God, but instead were allowing their own personal convictions and their very selves to get in the way. And while I agree that we need to read it in that context, I believe we can also ask, where are we? Who are we in this story? Are we a landowner who owns property and who wants the best from afar? Who sends many servants because we don't want to act harshly? And our treatment of those that we are seeing perhaps are, need to be um, dealt with? Are we the servants who are sent by the landowner to get what, what is due to the one that we work for in order to make sure that the agreement is fulfilled? Or could perhaps we be someone like the son who's sent by the father as a representative trusting that surely he will be respected because he is the son. Or are we like the tenants in the vineyard? The ones who scheme, the ones who plot, the ones who attempt to withhold that which they have agreed to do. Or even the ones who sit on the land now, having killed the son, looking around and making the assumption that the place that they are on is now their own. They haven't thought everything through. They haven't taken the time to consider that the landowner may still be alive. They've allowed themselves to, in a sense, be blinded by their assumption. The assumption that the landowner had gone and that the son coming was his way of, of claiming ownership of the property. And it's their assumptions that led them to their actions today. See, I don't know which one of the parables in this story connect with you today. As I've read the story, I've seen how easy it is, though, for us to fall into the same mindset 
and the tenants. Not in terms of, of, of planning the death of someone else or anything like that, but in terms of looking at the things that I have and am part of and, and taking for granted the things that I've received. See, the tenants took for granted the position that they were in, the thing that they'd been doing, the work that they had, the, the agreement that they had made, and, and they lost sight of what they had said they would do. You know, and then Jesus ends this teaching by saying, the Lord has done this, and it's amazing in our eyes. Another translation that I've read this past week said, the Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's marvelous because we forget. Because we get so used to the things that we're surrounded by that we, we lose the amazement. We lose the awe that surrounds us. And if Jesus is presenting this parable to the church, well then it's almost like He's saying to us that, that we can fall prey to, to just taking for granted the grace that He's given us and the forgiveness that we've been offered and the life that we've received. As we forget to celebrate the miraculous that's come before us. The miraculous of hearts being changed and people's lives being turned around. The miraculous of people coming and receiving baptism. The miraculous that God has chosen to come to us in His Son Jesus and offer Himself. Knowing who we are. Knowing that we're sinful and that we're faithless. Knowing that we're broken, but yet He still has offered Himself to us. See, I think we miss the miraculous. We miss the amazing presence of God in our midst as we worship together. And in doing so, we limit the work of God in our lives. We limit the work of God in our community. We forget and we miss seeing the holy possibility that's offered by God to you and to me and to our families together. See, as I read this scripture this morning, and as I focus on the passage where it says, the Lord has done this, and it's wonderful, or it's marvelous, or it's amazing, it reminds me that we have to open our eyes to the presence of God in our midst, to the blessing of God in our world, to, to the way that God has chosen to work in and through us and the way He offers Himself to others through us. Knowing that we're not able to do it alone, but yet God, in whatever way He can, allows His grace to overflow from us and to the lives of others so that we can be part of a marvelous Amazing and wonderful thing. And so the meal we share this morning is a very basic thing. It's bread and juice. But when touched and blessed by the Holy Spirit, it becomes an amazing thing. Because it's a meal of forgiveness. It's a meal of love. It's a meal that you and I share and receive in the hope that we have in God and in the faith faith that we place in Him. The Lord has done this. And it's an amazing thing.
For we receive this gift that is offered to us out of His Son, Jesus Christ. And in receiving it, we proclaim His death. And in proclaiming His death, we receive His life yet again. As we gather at this table, in which God offers us Himself. A marvelous gift that we see before our eyes. And so as we sing together, I invite you to be in prayer as we prepare for this gift that God offers us this day. A gift of bread and juice through which God offers us Himself. His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for this day, for this table, which you open to us. 